Okay, so you've got a uh, talk, headed talk six, getting down to it. And I'm going to start with a five-point summary of uh, what we have sort of learnt in this series, trying to kind of condense uh, everything we've looked at into five sort of bullet points. Here we go. Uh, Firstly, we've seen that prayer is faith articulated. Prayer is faith articulated. That is, prayer is actually simple. It is basically an expression of our dependence on God. We've put this in terms of asking God to do his thing. Of course, there will be praise and thanksgiving and all those other kind of prayers that you see in the Bible. But the essential kind of core of prayer is asking. It is articulating our faith. It, was, it is expressing our dependence on God. And it's therefore basic to the Christian life. Uh, you cannot really begin the Christian life without prayer. You can't be a Christian without being a prayer. Secondly, therefore, we've seen that prayer is Trinitarian. All the persons of God are involved. We pray to God the Father. He is the one who answers our prayers. Uh, We pray through the Spirit because the Spirit brings about that incredible, powerful change that we saw this morning so that we want to address God as Father. And we pray in the name of the Son because it is the Son who has broken down the barrier through his death on the cross for us to access the Father. So prayer is Trinitarian, but there is that order. That doesn't mean, say, it's a sin to pray to Jesus or it's wicked to pray to the Holy Spirit, but you don't see those prayers very often in the Bible. The order is to the Father, through the Spirit, in the name of the Son. Thirdly, we have grappled over a number of weeks with that business that Jack has already mentioned, uh, the relationship between our prayers and the sovereign will of God. Um, we've asked the question, you know, if God is sovereign, if he holds the universe in his hands, if he's already decided everything that happens, if he already knows what we're going to pray for, then where do our prayers fit into that? Um, do they actually make a difference or are we just kind of going through the motions? And we've seen, and I hope this is something we're, we're going to take away from this series, uh, something about the, the bigness of God in answer to that question That yes, he does know what we're going to pray before we pray. He does know what we need. He could act perfectly well without our prayers. But in his grace, he somehow incorporates, chooses to incorporate his prayers into uh, our prayers, into his plan. And I hope that kind of arrow diagram was helpful where we kind of reverse the usual human order of thinking. So we've grappled with the relationship between our prayers and God's sovereignty. Fourthly, we thought thought about the content of prayer, the the things that we are praying for. And to do that, you may remember, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6. And we saw that rather than just being a kind of a liturgical prayer for us to recite, wrote, uh, learnt kind of prayer, and rather than just being a a kind of a, a not bad kind of, you know, biblical shopping list of prayer it is much bigger than that it is actually a framework for thinking it's a worldview prayer um encapsulated in the lord's prayer is actually a a kind of a theological system that really kind of opens up the whole bible to us opens up the whole world to us and i think we, we just can't spend enough time thinking about the lord's prayer because it really does give us that kind of framework for the way we should be thinking 
And so we saw that the Lord's Prayer guides us in our prayers. It sets the parameters and the direction of our prayer by giving us, as Jack sort of said before, the things that God wants us to pray for, for his name to be honoured, his kingdom to grow, his will to be done. And then in the second half of the prayer, it gives us the things that we ourselves are to ask God for, our daily bread, forgiveness of sins, protection and so on. And it means that the things that we need are put in that bigger context of God's name being glorified. So we've looked at the content of prayer through the framework of the Lord's Prayer. And fifthly, we have thought about some of the barriers to prayer. Why don't we pray? If prayer is so brilliantly useful, uh, if it's such a privilege to pray to our Heavenly Father, then why do Christians almost always find prayer hard? Uh, If it is as simple as I said in the first point, just asking God for things, then why do we struggle to do it? And so we've spent some time over the course of these these weeks thinking about the answer to that question. Some barriers, hopefully, uh, have been barriers of understanding that we've cleared up. So hopefully, now we've thought about prayer theologically, we've removed some of those barriers and my hope at the end of the series is really that we'll, we'll want to pray because we understand prayer better. Having said that, some barriers are not barriers of understanding, but they are barriers of sin. Uh, some of the reasons we pray are things we need to repent of. Uh, we're too busy or too lazy or too proud or too disorganised or we just don't care enough about God's name. And the bottom line is God has commanded us to pray. And so prayer is a, prayerlessness is a sin. Having said that, as we've been looking at those kind of things, we've not put ourselves on a guilt trip. Um, I hope it hasn't come across that way. On the contrary, every week we've sort of thought about the privilege of prayer. We don't have to pray, we get to pray. Well, that's a, a summary of uh, where we've got to. I hope that's, that's helpful. I hope that kind of accords with what uh, uh, you remember learning in this series. And so now we're going to finish off by thinking practically about how to do it, what to do, uh, getting down to it. And we begin uh, by how not to. Last week, we looked at what Jesus positively teaches his disciples. But like all good teachers, Jesus also gives the negative side. Um, you may listen to this as you listen to teachers, whether it's you know, teachers at uni or teachers in church. A good teacher will not just kind of give you the truth, but will actually say, here is the opposite, so that we really understand the truth. And look how Jesus actually begins his teaching on prayer in Matthew 6 on the sheet. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. That little phrase at the end of, uh, in verse 8, do not be like them, is almost kind of a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Because all the way through, Jesus is saying, you know, this is how the Pharisees do it, but not you. You are to be different. And notice what he says about those Pharisees. The people he is talking about, he describes as hypocrites. You may know that the word hypocrite comes from the theatre. It's an actor. A hypocrite is someone who 
puts on a mask and pretends to do something they are not really doing. So he's saying these people are hypocrites because they, are, they look like they're praying, but they're not actually praying. So Jesus says, do not pray the way they pray. Now notice the two things they do and the corrective Jesus does in each case. First, they love to be seen to pray. They love to be seen standing in public places praying out loud. In other words, their prayers are not for the sake of God to hear, but for the sake of other people to hear. They are trying to impress other people. In other words, they're not actually praying at all. That's why they're hypocrites. They look like they are praying, but they're actually doing something else. And you might think, what a daft thing to do. But have you ever been part of a prayer meeting? When you have gone through the motions of praying, you've bowed your head, you've closed your eyes, you've said amen, but you haven't really been praying. You've been thinking about something else. You've been thinking about what everyone else is thinking or something else entirely. And so it has looked like you were praying, but you weren't. Or have you ever been to a prayer meeting, not because you really wanted to pray, but because that was the expectation and you just wanted to be seen to be there? I don't think that's a million miles away from this, is it? Or have you ever been in the situation where instead of actually listening to someone else praying, you are just thinking about the prayer that you're about to pray so you will impress others or at least not look completely stupid? Well, look at verse 6 and the corrective Jesus gives. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, that can't mean that there is no place for group or public prayer. Now, the emphasis is not on the location, but on the attitude. In fact, most people in Jesus' audience wouldn't have had their own room, their own private bedroom. It's, it's almost a metaphor. He's saying the principle is you are really only praying when your prayers are directed at God. A prayer that impresses people is not probably going to be a prayer that impresses God. So when you pray, whether in a group setting or publicly or privately, make sure you actually pray. Second corrective is they love to pray a lot, Jesus says. They love to pray a lot. And you might think, well, isn't that a good thing? We've been talking about prayer. Isn't a lot of prayer a good thing? But it's babbling away like the pagans that Jesus is criticising. As if their eloquence and the impressiveness of their words will somehow get God's attention. And the corrective in this case is verse 8. Sorry, the verse numbers aren't actually on there, are they? But do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the corrective to babbling away like pagans is to remember the relationship that you have with God, who is your father, who, remember, is able and willing. Now, one of uh, the things that children learn very quickly is that if they want to get something, they've got to ask their parents. We've already used that as an analogy before. Now, we have four grown-up children, uh, as you probably know, and two of them are married, and that's brilliant because it means they're, they're independent. They're, they, they ask their husbands for things if they, if they need things. Um, they're off our sort of case, and we don't need to worry about them. But two of them are still basically financially dependent on us to a certain extent. In fact, living on a pittance and needing the occasional bailout. And one of them will occasionally get to the point they just need a bit of a bailout 
maybe they've reached the end of the month and they have run out of money or they need to buy a train ticket and they just need their parental help just one more time. Now, what do you think they do when they get to that point? Do they speak to us like this? Oh, most munificent patriarch of the Rurlander family, <laughs> earner of all good things, merciful provider of our everyday abundance, we beseech thee, out of the generosity of thy fatherly wallet, to give us the wherewithal to sustain our lowly bodies with provisions from the blessed Aldi supermarket. <laughs> I wish they did say that sometimes. But instead they just send a little WhatsApp saying, Dad, do you think I could have £30 to get me to the end of the month? Thanks. Smiley face. (laughs) And there is an analogy here, isn't there? Because we are in a relationship with God as Father who is able and willing. God is not going to be impressed by our long prayers and wordy language. In fact, God accommodates to our language, doesn't he? He invented our language, and so we can address him in ordinary language as a child addresses their father. Well, having thought about how not to pray, let's think about some specifics of how to pray. And we'll do this under two headings. First, praying alone, and then praying together. Firstly, praying alone. Going into that room, whether it's a metaphorical room, Uh, and shutting the door and praying to your Father in heaven. Firstly, posture. There is posture, as I mentioned in the Bible. Uh, The most common posture, I think, uh, I've not actually kind of done the the search, but I think the most common posture for speaking to God in the Old Testament is lying on the ground with your face flat on the ground. It's one of the words that it gets translated as either prayer or, or worship in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know of many cases of kneeling to pray in the Bible, but that has become a kind of traditional Christian posture. And sometimes there are postures of hands being raised and all these kind of things. So what do we make of these postures? Well, Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? And so they come into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, when we come to approach the throne of God, we come as sinners needing grace. And God is our father, but he is not our mate. He is in heaven. And yet he has opened the way for us to come to him. And so the posture that matters is the posture internally at the posture of repentance and humility. So I want to suggest it doesn't matter at all to God what physical posture you adopt. You can pray lying flat on your face. You can pray lying looking at the sky. It might be helpful. I pray very often when I'm running and I find I can concentrate very well doing that. Um, some people might pray swimming or walking or doing the gardening or we'll have some other examples later. But... Whatever you do, it's the internal posture that matters. The other stuff will aid that internal posture, depending on your personality and circumstances. So I do know people who, who in their, the privacy of their room, they do kneel to pray. Um, because that helps them. The bodily connection between body and mind just helps them reinforce that posture of humility. And of course, there is also the business of concentration and focus. 
Secondly, when is a good time to pray? Um, we've all heard those stories of the great uh, sort of warriors of the past, the prayer warriors who'd get up at three o'clock in the morning and pray for three hours. And um, there's something really challenging about that, isn't, isn't there? Something really helpful about that in one sense, to be challenged, to, to grow in our capacity to pray. But we've already seen, haven't we, that God is not impressed by that. You know, there's not some sense in which we can merit an answer to prayer or earn an answer to prayer by a lengthy prayer time. So we need to be careful about that. And as I've said before, praying all night is no better a way of praying than just praying at eight o'clock in the morning for a few minutes. Um, God answers his prayers always because of his grace, never because of our performance. So we mustn't slip into a kind of performance mentality where, you know, the more we pray, the more God will answer us because effectively that is, that is a kind of pagan thinking that Jesus condemns here, doesn't he? God always answers prayer because he is kind, because he chooses to. Never, ever, because he is impressed with our prayer. Having said that, the other extreme would be to so take that freedom for granted that we actually border on negligence and laziness. So Paul, for example, says, doesn't he, pray without ceasing. And of course he can't mean he never ever stops praying. He means that prayer is the natural, normal, regular part of your life. You know, don't do anything without praying. And at the same time, it is important, I think, to plan to pray. Not to think that you will drift into spiritual discipline. You're never going to drift into any spiritual discipline. And so as well as all those other kind of opportunities, I think you do need to set aside time to do nothing else but pray. Because remember what prayer is. It's not a mood-related activity. It's not a mystical activity. Um, We are asking God to do things. And Satan knows, doesn't he, that all sorts of things will stop us from doing that. And so we shouldn't be surprised that prayer is hard. We shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to get down to it. We shouldn't be surprised that we often don't feel like praying. And so we can pray for that change of the spirit to work in us. I think there's probably never a time when it's not good to pray. Pray before that conversation, before you invite that person to something, before you tackle that crisis, before church, before a meal, before that exam. Pray when you have dead time. Um, I once found myself, I think, standing in a bus stop or waiting for a train or something like that and didn't have anything on me apart from my phone. And so I just started praying through the contacts of, uh, on my phone. Actually, probably most people got a lot of contacts, haven't we? Remembered some people I hadn't thought about for a long time and, and prayed for them. I can't remember what letter I got to before the bus came, but it was good use of time, I'm sure. And there's no rule that says you must have a set time every day when you get back to pray. But Jesus would go for long periods of time to pray, wouldn't he? And probably there are not many people in this room, myself included, who wouldn't benefit from just a little bit more discipline when it comes to pray. So plan. So let me make a concrete suggestion under the heading getting started. Um, Wherever you are in this um, can I encourage you not to sort of go home and feel incapacitated with guilt, but to actually just get down to it and do these four things. Firstly, repent. 
if you're a Christian and you've been prayerless, that's a sin. You need to repent and ask for God's uh, help. Ask for that, that powerful spirit-inducing change that we thought about this morning. Secondly, plan. Plan a time that is realistic but challenging. Um, probably early mornings are best for most people because if you don't start the day the way you intend to, life just has a way of taking over, but not everybody is an early morning person and it might be that that is not a time that's going to work for you, but make a plan and make it realistic but challenging. So can I suggest you don't begin with a two-hour marathon prayer session starting at five o'clock because the second time you do it, you'll probably sleep in and you'll probably fail and then you'll kick yourself and you'll be guilt-ridden and depressed and it'll be a failure. Why not start with something more realistic? Uh, what about 10 minutes three times during the week? If you're not in the habit of praying at all, 10 minutes three times in the next week for concerted prayer is better than what you're doing now. So start somewhere. Start with a plan that is realistic but challenging. And then once you've developed that habit, why not see if you can increase it a little bit? And you'll probably need to anyway. Uh, try it for a month. You know, habits are good. Um, someone once said, you know, if I didn't uh, wake up every morning and smoke my cigar and drink my cup of coffee, I would have all sorts of decisions to make. I don't have those decisions because I'm addicted to those two things. Very useful, isn't it? Because you get, this is not an advert for smoking, I'm just saying. It's an advert for habit, for forming habits. Because um, you get into the, the habit-forming addiction of, of just needing that kind of regular prayer time every, every morning. Now, one answer to that is someone might say, well, that's legalism, isn't it? If I get into that kind of pattern, I'm going to become legalistic. I'm going to be a Pharisee. I'm going to be guilt-ridden. Well, let me tell you something. I have a shower every single day, and I change my shirt every single day. And does that make me a Pharisee? Makes me clean. I recommend it. The point is you need to plan. We do not drift into any form of disciplined activity. Focus. Find a way of avoiding mental drift. Uh, Paul talks about wrestling in prayer. It is not an easy thing to do, to pray concertedly and usefully for people and things. And so various things can help you with this, praying out loud. Uh, using the Bible, go, going for a walk, getting away from the distractions, away from the desk. Most importantly, or probably, you know, away from the screen, although we talk about some screen helps later on. But get away from the distractions. Uh, write out your prayers. Um, and fourthly, tell someone what you're doing. Accountability in all areas of Christian life can be extremely helpful. And to tell a, a friend that you'd like them to ask you in a couple of weeks' time how you're doing in your prayer life, that uh, can be helpful. Tell someone tonight, perhaps, that you're going you're to try and grow in this area. Well, what do we pray for over the page? I personally think that unless you have a really good memory, um, or unless you're going to be a little bit scattergun, you need some method for capturing the things you're going to be praying for. Um, and we'll talk about some of those in, in, in a minute. I do think it's difficult to faithfully pray if you're in a church family and if you're kind of busy with Christian ministry. Unless you've got some system, somewhere to write things down, some way of keeping track of what you're praying for. So here are a few suggestions of, of what to pray for. 
Firstly, open the Bible and pray through the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. You could use each of the six requests to shape your prayers. So, for example, if you find yourself just praying for that exam that's coming up, you know, the thing that your mind always goes to, that deadline, that essay or whatever, how are you praying for that? Well, put it through the grid of the Lord's Prayer. And how will that change the way you are going to pray? You'll pray, won't you? Not just to get through the exam and to get the grade you want, but you'll pray for God to honour his name in the way you set out to do the exam. Uh, you'll ask him to help you revise wisely so that you will still have time for church and non-Christian friends and all that kind of thing because his kingdom is coming. Uh, you, might be, uh, you might ask for help not to be led into temptation the temptation of putting your identity into that particular grade that you're going for, that kind of thing. You might ask for help to work for his glory and so on. So put that prayer for the exam through the grid of Matthew 6 and you can see how how different it is, how God-centred that is. Second suggestion, open the Bible at a different passage. Uh, It almost doesn't matter what. We saw a great prayer in Nehemiah chapter one, if you were here yesterday, but there's loads in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. I've put some examples down um, on the sheet. And uh, if you just uh, look at the book on the, uh, the screen a second, I think we've got called Spiritual Reformation, uh, which is a, an old but uh, excellent book, which goes through the prayers of Paul uh, to help us to learn to pray uh, like Paul. Then we've got Five Things to Pray For, another resource. Uh, a series of books which kind of just give you five ways of praying for different uh, things. And then lastly, we've got this book, uh, Pray Big by Alistair Begg, which I've just recently read and, and really enjoyed. So those resources might help you to uh, look at the Bible and learn to pray the way the Bible does. Third suggestion, think in terms of concentric circles. So there are people who are close to you who you will pray for probably every day or every week, your family uh, for example, then there'll be people further afield who you'll pray for less often, and then there'll be people in the sort of distance. You know, I mean, how, how, how often do I pray for the king compared to my wife? Well, you know, you can ask me later, but I don't pray for the king as often, I'll tell you that much. Um, but those concentric circles can be a helpful way of just kind of ordering your, your prayers. Think, Here is my life. Um, it's natural, isn't it, to pray more often for the people closer to you. Uh, Think in terms of long and short term. So uh, people that you will want to pray for because of specific short term needs. Um, And then people in your life who you'll want to pray for for longer term. If you get married, have children, they will start to head up the list. And then there'll probably be some medium term prayer items as well. The people in your life now who you perhaps want to see make progress in the, in the Christian faith, but it might be the case that you're not going to be praying for them in 10 years' time. People in your real food group, for example, um, or your prayer triplet that you're in just this year, there's medium-term, short-term. It's quite natural and normal to think in those ways. If you're a member of the church, then can I encourage you to use the membership directory? It's a brilliant resource because... Not only does it give you people's contact details, not only does it help you remember people's names, but it means you can actually pray systematically through the whole church family. And I really uh, commend it to you. Or use your real food folder. Or take home the prayer tea card. Um, and under this, the heading of other, we're going to hear now from three, uh, four people, Joe and the trainees, 
who are going to tell us what they did. Um, I pray through uh, what I call prayer sticks. It's basically things I put on a lolly stick. And because I often find myself focusing on the here and now and always just pray for myself. So I think uh, it's a helpful way to broaden my view and just pray for things like um, friends back home, pray for workers for the harvest feud, pray for like just pray in a wider scope. And I think it's really helpful to ground uh, my prayers as well because I often go on a um, flow and just oh pray for this and then woo, go everywhere. So I just just think that is very helpful. And yeah. I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I remember to say everything. Um, I, th- I know I've been trying to grow in with uh, praying with people when you're like you know going for a walk or meeting up with coffee or just chatting to people on a Sunday morning. Um, I think the main thing. Uh, that's helped me is just remembering God is there listening to you while you're with that person. So, uh, firstly, he's the best person to talk to. So, you know, if you're going through a hard situation, God is much better than the advice that you can give and the other person can give. Um, so why not just talk to, talk to God together? Um, and also, I think it's just an opportunity to be spontaneous. So just do it, because otherwise you'll forget to do it. If you say, oh, I'll pray for you later, you probably won't. Um, and you can just thank God for something if it's a happy thing, or you can just ask for his help if it's something hard. And I think for me, praying with others really keeps me accountable. Um, I always just enjoy it a lot more with others. Um, and the main reason, well, the main thing that's helped me is actually my mum. There was a situation recently, I had a very stressful conversation with her uh, about the house that they're buying. And we were talking about all these details. And then she just, there was like a two second silence and she just went, anyway, Heavenly Father, and just went. Um, I think that's great because it just really keeps the priority. It reminds you the priority is God. It's God's provision and everything. That was really helpful for me. Um, one thing I find really helpful is associating different activities with certain prayers. So just like when I'm brushing my teeth or I'm cleaning or on my way to, to walking on my way to work, I just think, oh, if I associate... Um, those activities of prayers I think oh I'm, I'm walking to work I can be praying now for my day and the things that I'm going to do or if I'm brushing my teeth oh I can pray for this person um, I'm, just, I'm quite forgetful so I found that as a, re- a really helpful way just to remember to pray um, and I usually have some notes on my phone I have a sticky note app with different people on it and different prayer points or different things to pray for try and pray through bible verses as well and it's really helpful just having my phone just there so that I can just pray spontaneously and it, it's just a helpful reminder that God hears our prayers any time of the day and, and he's really gracious and using you know we can make him part of every part of our day and um, yeah um, two, uh, two things I, I use uh, as often as I can one is the partnership directory that Danny mentioned just praying through people in the partnership directory uh, the other thing that I've used I think this is the third one I've bought and I found it really helpful. It's a prayer diary that the Good Book Company put together um, and there's a page which, um, oh, I'll do that one in a sec. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine, there's two. Um, <laughs> the, the page that you turn to every day is, it has everyday prayer, so prayers to pray every day. So um, for me, it's the Lord's Prayer, like Daniel was saying, just praying through Lord's Prayer line by line, family, personal godliness, personal evangelism, things like that. 
And then it has Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you can write down a prayer for each day, as many as you want. So, you can, so if, if it's Monday, you pray the everyday prayers, then the Monday prayers. Um, and I've just split things that I want to pray for over those, uh, those days of the week. So Bible prayers, people I, I want to pray for regularly, different things happening in church, then different things happening in the world. So every day I've got those sort of four, four things to pray for, Bible, people, church, world, but there'll be different things each day. And then the other uh, page you then turn to is this one, which you can sort of update as often as you want. Um, and it has reasons to give thanks and praise, which I find a really helpful thing to do. Answers to prayer. So looking back and thinking, how's God answered those prayers I've been praying? New prayer requests and then uh, ongoing prayer requests. And you can do that once a week or once a month. Uh, you can open up these, this spread and just write down new prayers in there that you want to pray. And I found that discipline really helpful uh, during the week. Thanks. very much everyone that was our two minute slot um, can I also suggest that you just widen up that conversation ask around tables you know over, over the meal later why don't you just kind of ask people to share what they do if they've got anything different to add let's move on from praying alone to praying together and to finish um, one of the wonderful things about church is that you get to pray uh, with other people as uh, Craig's already mentioned and actually if you look in the bible um, I mean someone could maybe sort of test this out if you want to over the summer you know little project for somebody um i've got a feeling there are more examples in fact i'm pretty sure there are, there are many more examples of people praying together in the bible than people praying on their own of course you do see both but there is this kind of pattern that when christians gather um one of the things they do is they pray so acts 2 42 one of the defining uh, um, activities of this early church you know, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer uh, Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And it seems to me that whenever churches have been strong, uh, and I don't mean strong in a kind of worldly sense, I mean kind of you know, faithful and united, uh, they have been marked by a strong commitment to corporate prayer. Um, praying with people is one of the, the things that we can do as a church that actually is easy, isn't it? It's, it's free, it's not complicated it's something we can do in any meeting that we do and it's a great blessing um, and i want to encourage you as i have mentioned once before i think to enjoy and use praying with other people and take encouragement from it a couple of reasons one because we can learn to pray by listening to other people other christians pray that's probably how most of us actually do learn to pray in fact another thing is the example of others can can spur us on it can be a great discipline. And finally, because it is actually praying. And I think, you know, a couple of people have said they, they were sort of encouraged by that when I mentioned it last time. But sometimes we can think, well, the only prayer that really counts is the prayer that I pray on my own. That's, that's the thing that I've got to really do. But actually, if you're in a meeting, whether it's a prayer triplet or a real food Bible study or a Sunday morning church meeting, if you're praying together, that is prayer. Um, it can be very, and I've written the word down in quotes in my notes, it's a very efficient way of praying, just for want of a better word, because you're listening to someone else who's thinking about what they're praying, and you're saying amen to it, and you're praying. Does that sort of make sense? I hope that's helpful. So let's think about praying together, see if we can work on this a little bit, and grow in it a little bit.
Um, firstly, praying in church meeting, that is the main kind of Sunday meeting or, or whatever. A um, couple of uh, bullet points, or five bullet points actually. I realise you're going to get short space if you're a note taker, but five little sub points under that. Um, firstly, if you ever do the prayers on a Sunday morning meeting, you will hopefully have had a, some training to, to do that well. Um, and if not, we will put some training on uh, uh, soon again. Um, because remember that as you do that, you are setting a model. Now, I said earlier that we're not to pray for the benefit of other people. You know, we're not to pray to impress people. But that doesn't mean to say that our public prayers should be um, sort of confusing. They, they need to be prepared because they're actually, we're actually teaching as we pray. And if I pray in a whole church context, I do tend to write my prayers out beforehand so that they can be uh, at least a half-decent kind of model. Second bullet point, if you lead any form of public prayer, whether it's in a Bible study group or a church or CU or CTF, whatever, can I encourage you always to use the first person plural pronoun? That is we. If you're leading a group prayer, it's always we, not I. Because I'm not, I'm not just listening to your prayers. You are leading us in our prayers. And so just one little thing that we can do that I think makes a, a little difference is to always think we, not I, if you're praying with other people. Third bullet point, as you listen to people praying, try and listen thoughtfully to what they're praying and learn from them. Uh, of course, this doesn't mean to say we're all going to sound exactly the same. People's prayers reflect their personalities just as their accents do. But try and listen out and learn from good prayers. And then fourthly, actually pray for something. Have you ever heard, listened to these prayers where people do say, we pray for, we pray for, we pray for this, we pray for her, we pray for this, and I'm just waiting for them to fill in what is, what is it we're praying for. Um, and um, uh, where has it gone? Um, yeah, I was been reading this book last today and uh, actually really enjoying it. And he's got a, he's got a little subchapter called uh, No More Be With. If you were to record uh, many prayers, I have a sad suspicion you hear a lot of be with. Dear Lord, I pray you'll be with Tom as he goes to work and be with Mary, who's having a wisdom teeth removed and be with, be with, be with us all. Amen. And then he goes to Nehemiah chapter one. And uh, remember, uh, if you were here yesterday, there's this terrible situation uh, in Nehemiah chapter one of the exile. And um, chapter one, verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord of heaven. And then I said, and then you get this long kind of 10 verse, wonderful biblical prayer. And Alistair Begg says, he paraphrased it. God, please be with all the people in Jerusalem. Joke. <laughs> He's saying that is not what Nehemiah said. Um, see the point. Actually pray for something. Fifth and final bullet point, say Amen. If there's people praying, then say loud Amen. It's encouraging. It shows that we're all praying. Secondly, prayer in small groups. And this time I've got ooh, seven bullet points. Um, firstly, um, I know that there are some people who just find this a really scary thing. Um, and actually it's a source of anxiety. I know some people who for years avoided coming to prayer tea because they didn't want to pray out loud. Well, a couple of things to say here. Firstly, if that's the case, you've got to do some soul searching and ask why. 
It might be a natural shyness, but I don't think it is because I can think of some quite shy people who are actually very good prayers in group. And I can think of some very gregarious people who talk a lot and stay silent in groups. So do a little bit of soul searching and ask yourself, why am I so reluctant to pray out loud? Is it just plain laziness? Is it fear of others, fear of what other people might think of your stumbling, fumbling prayer? Is it a lack of love on your part? Is it selfishness and pride that you just don't want people to think that you are not a good prayer? Just ask yourself that question. Secondly, remember Jesus' criticism of those who pray to impress others. And so as you're praying in a group, just remember that... Who's that guy on Strictly who holds up the scorecard? I don't watch Strictly. I detest the programme, but I, have, I do know that there is this scorecard, Craig Revel Horwood or someone like that, is it, who gives you, a, you know, an 8 or a 9 or a 10. And just remember when you are in the prayer meeting that you know, Joe Stanwick or someone is not going to pop up with a scorecard <laughs> and give you a mark. And I promise you, no one is thinking, what a silly prayer. Why can they have articulated that a little bit more expressively or theologically correctly? Why so many ums and ahs? What an idiot. No one is thinking that. And if they are, they're the idiot. So ignore them. Everyone is just thinking, I'm really glad they prayed that. Amen. So just speak up and pray. Thirdly, remember that prayer is not governed by mood, but it's commanded. Remember that as you pray, you are serving other people. It's just like singing in church. We might not always feel like singing in church, but we do it because of the sake of those around us. Fourthly, if you are a very confident prayer, then you may just ask yourself, you know, are your prayers too long, too eloquent, so other people are intimidated? But that's not very often the case. Um, fifthly, before you pray out loud, it's always good just to think a little bit what you are going to say. Um, but don't overthink it. You're know, talking to your Heavenly Father. And if you go wrong and stumble and interrupt somebody or whatever, just laugh and forget yourself and don't worry. And if you're a man here, then can I encourage you, sixthly, to just lead the way a little bit in group prayers where there's a mixed group. Because, you know, you might not realise this, but some of the ladies are sitting there kind of thinking, look, aren't men meant to lead? 1 Timothy 2. Are they not meant to be the, the leaders in prayer? And we're all sitting here and they're waiting for the men to start praying. And so take the lead, man up. And seventhly, um, I just think, I don't like silences in prayer meetings. We're here to pray. Why are there so many silences? Um, just jump in. We're not Quakers. You know, Quakers do their sort of morning meeting in silence and people kind of pop in and the silence is all part of it. We're not Quakers. We're people of the word. We should be jumping in and using those silences to serve other people. So some... And then finally some thoughts on praying with one or two people. Um, One-to-ones and prayer triplets can be a great context for disciplined prayer. Prayer triplet, of course, doesn't just have to be three, it could be four or, or whatever. It's a group of people who meet regularly uh, to pray. And again, it's a very useful, helpful thing to do for all sorts of reasons that we've already mentioned. Um, you can do this in as little as half an hour. Um, I found women tend to need a bit longer. They tend to sort of do a little bit more chatting. And so kind of, you know, half hour meeting stretches to one and a half hours or whatever. Um, 
You can do it weekly, you can do it fortnightly. You can open the Bible, you can just have a verse, you can be reading a book and talk about it. Um, if you're in one of those groups, then can I encourage you to actually get down to pray? Because often, you know, I ask, how's the prayer triplet going? And they say, well, we, you know, we talked about the cricket for the first half hour, and then we talked about the book, and we didn't actually get down to pray. And the same is true for all sorts of groups when we have a Bible study group. Now, what, what my pattern has been, if I have a, a meeting of some sort, I pray at the beginning, because, or in the middle sometimes, because I, wanna, I want the prayer to be part of the business of the group or the team. Um, so many Christian meetings, the prayer is left to the end. So you do all the business and, right, well, it's 11 o'clock, okay, someone pray, you know, that kind of thing. In our elders' meeting, for example, we pray for an hour and a half at the beginning of every meeting, and that hour and a half includes discuss, discussing the people that we are praying for. So we pray through the partnership directory, alphabetically, we take a chunk at a time, pray through what we call the care list, and we talk about the, the people there, pray through the follow-up list, the people who are new to church, and there might be one or two other things that, that we throw in, and that generally takes us uh, from what time do we start? Half past seven. We don't normally start the business of the meeting until nine or quarter past nine. And that is absolutely deliberate because um, I'd rather the, the business got postponed than the prayer got postponed. If you don't start the, the meeting with prayer, you will always postpone the prayer. And almost invariably, I think this is right, isn't it? Almost every single elders meeting, we don't actually finish the agenda. We just put it off for another time. Because we're not crazy. We do want to go to bed, um, at least before midnight. Um, and so some tips on uh, praying in groups. I want to commend that to you. If you're organising a group or a committee, don't make prayer the kind of the add-on. Make it part of the actual business, part of the work of the group, if it is a, if it is a Christian group. I hope that's helpful. And then, just picking up what uh, Craig said, use those opportunities, those ad hoc opportunities when you're just talking to somebody and you don't know what to say um, you're standing in the courtyard and someone's crying or, or it's got a problem that you just can't solve well don't run away don't just say but you can pray for them that's one thing you can do it's a ministry you can actually pray for them and even for non-Christians uh, you can ask you know, how would you feel about me praying for you well, let's conclude this series and let's conclude this time like this Prayer is simple, uh, but it's also difficult. It's simple uh, because it's not like babbling to the, of the pagans. It's asking God for things, but it's difficult because we are spiritually challenged, aren't we? We're, we're full of sin, we're full of pride. All sorts of things are going to stop us praying. And so we need to take those positive steps forward in discipline. But we must pray because we are Christians and to pray expresses our relationship with God. It's something that tells us that we are not religious. We are people of faith. And so I want to end by three uh, motivating thoughts. Firstly, if you struggle to pray, then one thing that will help you is having something to pray about. You know, that when the crisis hits and you really then pray, don't you? And if you have little to pray about, uh, it could be because you're not living the kingdom life. You're not living the, the world that Jesus teaches us in, in his prayer. The urgency 
that God's name is hallowed is not, has not gripped you. The plan is not your plan. And so I could say, well, you know, come on, get praying. But actually, I also want to say, get, in, get on the plan. Get on the mission of Jesus. Um, get your sleeves rolled up. Start talking to people. Um, and you will then have things to pray for. Secondly, remember the great privilege of prayer. The fact that we don't have to pray, we get to pray. Uh, we pray to the Father who holds the universe in his hands uh, through Jesus' death on the cross and he's given us that privilege. Like my children WhatsApp me and ask for cash occasionally. And if I'm very, very generous and in a good mood and I have some, I can give it to them. But God is not like that. God has the whole universe in his hands. He is able and willing. We can say our Father in heaven and that can change everything. And so final thing, if you've never prayed like that, uh, this evening would be a great time to start. And so let me leave this in the prayer that you'll see uh, on the bottom of the sheet. To actually begin or to restart uh, the life of somebody who prays to their Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, I know I do not deserve to enter your kingdom, but have rebelled against you and need your mercy. Thank you that Jesus has died in my place so my sins might be forgiven and I might be adopted into your family. Please forgive me and cleanse me so I might begin a new life of prayer and address you personally as my Heavenly Father, now and forever. Amen.